Our reading today is from um, John chapter 19, verses 25 to 30. Wonderful reading. Now the cross of Jesus stood, now near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Copas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, his disciple took him into his fam- took her into his family. Later, knowing all this was complete, so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jug of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the uh, New York bestseller uh, book, it's called Toxic Parents by Dr. Susan Forward. Uh, She offers uh, a self-help guide to free yourself from the frustrating patterns of your relationship with your parents. Uh, To this end, she asks some pretty difficult questions. Questions like, When you were a child, did your parents tell you you were bad or worthless? Did you have to take care of your parents because of their problems? Did they do anything to you that had to be kept secret? And now that you're an adult, do they still treat you as if you're a child? Do you have an intense emotional or physical reaction after spending time with them? Do they control you with threats or guilt or money? Do you feel that no matter what you do, it's never good enough for them? Now, you might be feeling uh, really triggered right now by these questions. Uh, Many years ago, uh, a friend of mine got a hold of this book and he found it very revealing in the way that he related to his parents. And he came to accept just how toxic his parents were, which was actually a relief for him. But as a Christian, he was torn because... He knew that one of the Ten Commandments is to honour your father and mother. But he wasn't sure how to do that in the light of the relationship that he had with his parents. Maybe like some of us here today because of just how bad it is with our folks. But even for those of us who'd say we have a good relationship with our, with our folks, we all know that this relationship is one of the most complex and triggering for us all, Right? and easily the one where we can feel the most easily churned up about and guilt-ridden over. Because while I'm sure that we'd all quickly say that we're not perfect, none of us are perfect, when it comes to our parents, how we talk about them, or how we relate to them or think about them, often just exposes how imperfect we are. And if you're not feeling the guilt over that yet, can I recommend the larger catechism uh, of the Westminster Confession of Faith? Uh, it, it's a series of questions concerning the key truths of our faith. It's a little bit old school, but it's, it's pretty good. And question 128 unpacks what it means to break the, the fifth commandment, honour your father and mother. Question 128, what are the sins of inferiors against superiors? I.e., how do we dishonour our father and mother? Well, here's the answer. All neglect of the duties required toward them, envying at contempt of and rebellion against their persons and places in their lawful counsels, commands and corrections, cursing, mocking 
and all such for refractory, what a great word, refractory, obstinate, stubborn, pig-headed, all such refractory and scandalous carriage, posture, attitude, manner, as proves a shame and dishonour to them and their government. And I take that this applies to those parents who are also who are dead too. But who hasn't felt like they've neglected their parents at some stage? Who hasn't envied them the money and opportunities or simpler life we perceive they have or had? Who hasn't rebelled against them as they rightly sought to counsel, guide and correct us? Who, who hasn't mocked them? at some stage, or being pig-headed or unkind in our attitude and our manner towards them. The simple fact is we've all shamed and dishonoured our parents. And you know what that lumps us amongst? God-haters. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans, they are full of envy Murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. According to God, we stand amongst murderers and God-haters as we disobey our parents. There's nothing like... uh, picking the scab off our festering, filthy, God-hating hearts, I reckon, than to take a good hard look at how we've dishonoured our parents. And then feeling the weight of just how wrong and broken and guilty we are for it. In fact, we might be feeling it now. Which is why this passage in John today is such a breath of fresh air. As Jesus breathes his last for us, having honoured his mother and his father for us. That's where we're going to die. But let's uh, pray before we get into it. Father God, your word is life. Your spirit is life. Grant we breathe deeply of him in and through your word now that we might know life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his work on that cross for us. Amen. Before we get into our passage proper, let's uh, recap a little bit on where we've been. Last week in John's Gospel, in fulfilment of scripture, we saw Jesus crucified. We saw the Roman soldiers casting lots for who'd get his clothing. And it's worth noting that uh, the particular piece of clothing that the soldiers were casting lots for was his undergarment. Jesus was stark naked incapable of covering himself because his hands and feet, particularly his hands, what do you do when you're naked? Do this. But he couldn't. Stripped, not just of his clothing, but of his dignity. Which is the point of crucifixion. It was specifically designed to strip someone of their dignity, of their humanity, like an insect pinned to a board just to inspect, to examine the writhing death throes, the part of the kind of macabre intrigue of it all. So Jesus is stripped of his humanity, his clothing being gambled for, and there, we're told, four women stand nearby, watching on. Verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, 
and Mary Magdalene. Possibly the same women who provided the very clothing that he's been stripped of and been gambled of in front of them now. They gave him that garment and the soldiers are adding insult to injury. There they are watching him quiver in agony on a cross, arms wide for an embrace that cannot come, his own body turned against him, becoming the instrument of his own exquisite suffering and asphyxiation. I doubt we can imagine how they must have felt looking on watching their teacher, watching their friend, watching their nephew, their son, beaten and naked, pinned like an insect. And the cross was probably only a little bit above eye height, not raised high in the air. Right there in front of them. How could you stand it? How could you look on? How could you stand to hear people mocking him? And yet there they were. There they are, there for Jesus. And yet, so profoundly, in a way that they could have had no idea about at the time, he's there for them. Loving them to the very end. Loving his mum to the very end. Which brings us to our first point. Jesus honours his mother. He honours his mother. We see this from verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And the disciple, here is your mother. As the oldest son, Jesus is responsible for looking after his mum. To honour her is to look after her which despite the circumstances, he's looking to do here. The disciple whom Jesus loved there in verse 26 is John, the guy who's writing this gospel. And in all likelihood, he's actually Jesus' cousin. It's no surprise here, then, that that he's here. Uh, Not just to see Jesus, but to be with his mum and his auntie, Mary, to support them at this terrible time. And Jesus, he sees them, and he gets out two short sentences Now, those two short sentences would have been extremely difficult to get out. Hard just to say. Crucifixion made it almost impossible to breathe without excruciating agony. Just to breathe in to get a word out meant you had to pull yourself up on the nails in your wrists or push down on the nails in your hands. So probably in rasps, Jesus says, Woman, here is your son. And then to John, here is your mother. Now, when I read this uh, earlier in the week and, I, and really kind of thought about it, I got, a little, I got a little choked up. There's Jesus in agony and yet still looking to honour his mum. I have trouble, trouble remembering my mum's birthday on a good day. Sorry, mum. But here's Jesus on the worst day of his life and he's concerned to see his mum look after and he gets it done. Verse 27 again. From that time on, This disciple took her into his home. I wonder if Mary is actually looking over John's shoulder as he writes this in his home now. (laughs) What might she be thinking? Jesus looked after her. He honoured her. Even though their relationship wasn't perfect, 
Indeed, John only explicitly mentions her a couple of times in his gospel, in this gospel, here and earlier in chapter 2, at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine. There, Jesus seems to gently rebuke her. And there, as here, Jesus addresses her as woman, which seems a little bit distant. Uh, I tried this on with my mum uh, yesterday, actually. I popped around. Uh, and uh, the first thing I said to, to mum was, hello woman. She didn't bat an eyelid. Uh, she just said, oh, hello, back. Uh, that wasn't actually what I was expecting. It wasn't what I wanted. So, poor form mum. I was actually expecting her to object, or at least to frown, so that I could say, well, that's what Jesus called his mum. It's good enough for Jesus. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, but if it did, and I said that, Mum would have been very well within her rights to make the very valid point that I'm not Jesus. And in fact, only Jesus should get away with this. It's interesting to note that everywhere Mary appears during the course of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is at pains to establish a distance between them. Unlike the the TV series uh, The Chosen, which I like, but it's not the Bible. Uh, in The Chosen, the characters of uh, Jesus and his mum, Mary, seem to grow closer together during his ministry. Uh, there's, no, there's no questioning his sanity, as in Mark chapter 3. There's no Jesus saying it's those who do the will of God in heaven who are actually his brothers and sisters and mothers, not necessarily his biological siblings or mother, as in chapter 12 of Matthew. Now, Jesus, he, he's not being callous with his mum, you know, calling her woman. He just needs to make it clear that no one, not even she, can presume to come to him on some inside track. Everyone must see him first as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. She may be his mum, but in a very real sense, she's firstly a woman to him. A woman who needs to needs him to be God's Messiah way more than to be her son must have been hard, I reckon, for Mary to learn this. She bore him, she nursed him, watched him fall over as he learned to walk, taught him as a child, and she seems to have come to rely on him as the family provider. And now there he hangs, not just her son, but her provider, dying. And as his life dwindles, the prospect of hers does too. And yet Jesus is a good Jewish son to the end. He's the best. He honours her by joining John and her together as family, so that she's looked after once he's gone. In this, Jesus honours his mother. More than that, he obeys God's law, the fifth commandment, honour your mother and father. In so doing, he honours his father as well. Which brings us to our second point. Jesus honours his father, who of course is God himself. Jesus honours him as he obeys him in fulfilment of scripture. We read in verse 28, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Jesus knew the whole point that he came to earth, the whole point his father had sent him, that it's wrapping up, it's coming to an end, it's finishing, it's completing as he approaches his death. And to underscore how much Jesus understands that, that this is all part of the father's plan, he uses even his thirst, which would have been immense at this point. He, he says he's thirsty 
to complete what scripture anticipates of him as the Messiah, the promised son of David, the one sent from God to save his people. A thousand years beforehand, King David, he wrote a number of psalms where he says things about himself, but he says them in a, in a poetic way. Things that get eerily accurate when it comes to Jesus. Like Psalm 69, where David writes this, when he's been in trouble, uh, praying to God, he says, You know how I'm scorned, disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And it seems as much to get a drink because he's parched. Jesus says back here in John that he's thirsty to fulfill this scripture because there just happens to be a jar of wine vinegar near his cross, verse 29, which they give him, which incidentally was designed actually to prolong the torture, to sustain the victim longer so that they would suffer longer. Now, just hours earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is desperately asking the Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. That, that's the cup of God's judgment on the sin of the world in his crucifixion. Take that from me, yet not my will, that yours be done, he says. And here on the cross, clearly in obedience to the will of the Father, Jesus drinks the vinegary dregs of his suffering, a sign of the greater drink of God's terrible judgment on the sins of the world that he's gulping down to the dregs. It's a wonder that he can catch his breath to utter those final words, it is finished. He's done it. He's suffered and died for the sins of the world just as the Father willed it. Not only has he honoured his mother, He honours his father. And then in verse 30, he bows his head and gives up his spirit. But here's the kicker. The fifth commandment, honour your father and mother, comes with a promise, doesn't it? What's the promise? Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Jesus honoured his father and his mother perfectly. What does he deserve? According to God's law, he should live long in the land. But what happens instead? He bows his head and he gives up the ghost in our place. So that we, awful disobedient children, might live long in the land God is giving us. That is the new heavens and the new earth forever. How riding on the coattails of Jesus' perfect obedience to his father to death on that cross. It's because Jesus perfectly honours his father in this that the whole world's disobedience can be covered by his obedience. As John can write elsewhere, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. As the righteous one, the one who perfectly honours his father, Jesus' sacrifice atones not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. A couple of months ago I mentioned uh, Dr Duncan McDougall. Uh, In 1907 he performed a number of experiments on dying patients. He observed upon their deaths that consistently, right upon their deaths, 
they became 21 grams lighter. As such, he thought that the human soul, the human spirit, weighs 21 grams. Now, for argument's sake, let's assume that's true. Can you think of a more precious 21 grams of spirit than Jesus' spirit? Precious or potent? Yeah, some think there are, there's been over 108 billion people who've ever lived since the first people. Over 108 billion other spirits that are sick with a rubbish attitude towards God. Imagine the weight of all that guilt. The terrible, terrible burden of the punishment that that deserves. 108 billion eternal sentences and Jesus takes it all upon himself on that cross. He not only suffers the crushing weight and torture of it, he bears it. His righteous spirit is more than good enough for the 108 billion unrighteous ones he bears it for. And he's not forced to pay this precious and potent 21 grams. He freely gives it. He wasn't forced to hand over his perfect spirit as payment for over 108 billion imperfect ones. He gave it. And all anyone has to do to cash in on that precious and potent gift of Jesus, 21 grams, is to breathe it in by faith. And Jesus said that faith in him, the size of a mustard seed, is enough. That to believe he honoured his Father on that cross for us, to believe this just a little, a mustard seed amount, that that's enough for God to grow a massive tree to eternal life in us let alone clear the ground of guilt to get it going. A mustard seed of faith in Jesus' 21 grams given for us all is enough. That where we dismally failed, he honoured his mother and his father so that we might take, so that he might take the consequence of us dishonouring our parents and our heavenly father. And so that incredibly we might enjoy as a gift what he deserved by right, living a long life in the land that God's given us. A life that we can now enjoy, even now. No matter how guilty we've been of dishonouring our Heavenly Father or dishonouring our own parents, no matter how broken our relationships with them might or might have been, no matter how many regrets and hurts and failings we've suffered, we can know with confidence that everything is good with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, as Jesus perfectly honoured his mother and his father for us. So if you're weighed down by regret and shame and guilt, particularly, maybe, when it comes to your parents, I urge you to lean in a little closer to the cross of Jesus and listen a little bit harder to those final words that he says just for you. It is finished. You are no longer a disobedient or disappointing child. That's not what defines you. 
That's how you think about yourself. Because of Jesus' honour, his parents here, that's now done. Finished. You're now a son or a daughter first of Jesus' father, who he honoured perfectly by giving his precious and his potent spirit for you. And I'm going to pray that we would know and treasure that now. Almighty God, <coughs> it's hard to fathom how good and profound Jesus in his sacrifice, in his life and in his death, given for us was and is. That in honouring his mother and honouring you, he's not only died the death that we deserve, but he's lived the life we should have lived. Please help us as those who know your forgiveness, your cleansing, your adoption into your family through Jesus, to be sons and daughters, to be defined by that no matter how wrecked the rest of our life might be, or our relationships, particularly with our parents. Grant us a clarity and a hope and a comfort that first and foremost in Jesus, we are your sons and daughters. Help us to treasure and enjoy and savour just how good it is that Jesus honoured his mother and his father, you, for us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.